Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever, ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Lori Lee Rourke with It's Not About Food podcast. And every podcast, we pick a card that is in the Body Love cards. There are 32 of them. And you can buy them on my website and you pick one every day. There's something to kind of wrap your head around that day. And today we have a wonderful guest and the card that she picked was purpose. So on the front of the card is the goddess is walking with her power animal down a path. And there's a beautiful sun and a beautiful moon. And she's sort of walking forward on the path of her purpose, if you will. And the back of the card reads, following our purpose leads us to the path that feeds our soul. We all possess unique gifts, and we all have the need to express those gifts. To find our calling is to find the path of our hearts, the way of life that makes us feel alive and glad to be here. Over time, we may find many different paths, small and large, We find our calling by listening to our inner voice and doing what feels right and true to ourselves. So I think for me, one of the things about this card when Carol and I made this card was to know that even if it doesn't look like it's right or it doesn't sound like it's right to other people, we all know what our path is. And it could be many paths. I mean, I've done many, many things in my life, and they're all wonderful, and they're all great, and even if they didn't work out, it was still a good lesson anyways. And to find the calling is our soul's desire to find that path of our hearts and the way of our soul and what we were put on earth to do. So I'm going to introduce Mary, and she is somebody who I feel pretty confident that she followed her purpose, too, to get to where she is today. So I'll let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her and what she's doing these days about purpose. Thanks, Laura Lee. My name is Mary Fumara, and I live in Santa Rosa, California, originally from Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) Right? Grew up in New Jersey and then lived in Philadelphia for some time. And went to school and learned social work and psychology, became licensed as a social worker. I was part of the, and I'm really proud of this, part of the the handful of people that helped start the Renfrew Center, which was the first standing residential facility for women with eating disorders back in 1985. Yes. And also one of the ones that really did a sort of an intuitive eating and body acceptance place, you know, that you could go and you're not going to be inundated with what you should look like and what you shouldn't look like. 
You're right about that. I remember we had movement therapists. Mm-hmm. That was very, <laughs> very amazing. And psychodrama. Uh-huh. Cutting edge. Cutting edge. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah. So when you had asked me to do this podcast and I looked at all of the cards and purpose was a great card. And then when I turned it over, I saw the, the woman with the dog and it was like, oh, that's that's a lot like me and my little Chloe, my little dog that I do a lot of things with. And she always helps me to remember what it is inside of the soul, because oftentimes with purpose, purpose can become so sometimes it's very work oriented. I've been doing so much work and my little dog reminds me play is also important. You want to balance it out. That's right. So when I was young, I grew up in a very poor family, uneducated of uh, parents. Mother only went up to um, 10th grade and father 7th grade. So I used to pretend I was a teacher when I was growing up. <laughs> when I was a little girl, I would be reading these books and I would, I think I pretended I was a professor. So I wow. was like, even, I escalated myself. And I always felt like there was a higher purpose. I wasn't going to repeat what my mom and dad's life was. You know, I wanted to go on to be educated and they supported that. And they taught me to be a a strong, independent woman. And then when I went on to uh, Rutgers University and I joined the Women's Center and Women's Studies. Do you remember Women's Studies? I do. That showed me how women were oppressed. And right then and there, I said, I'm a feminist. I'm a feminist. And I'm going to help women to understand that we are oppressed. And that has always carried me through with working with women with eating disorders. And unfortunately, sometimes women will self-destruct with an eating disorder. So is that what you're doing these days, mainly working with eating disorders? Well, right now, I am working for Kaiser Permanente, and we have an eating disorder intensive outpatient program. And I'm part of that as well as, well, with that, I do the parent group. I help facilitate the parenting group. And I also have a private practice. So I always have my hand somewhere in uh, working with people with eating disorders. So tell me, what was that like? So I would assume that if you were working with women, finding out who they really are, the women's studies, was that around... 1978. Okay. So, so, yeah. 1978, Laurel Lee. I know. I can remember those days myself where we're just like finding out who we are and how we could make a difference in the world and take our own autonomy. I mean, that was like such a radical idea, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Gloria Steinem, her Ms. Magazine was very popular. Betty Friedan. Yes. And I can remember those, uh, what were they called? These women's sessions that they would like decide not to wear makeup. Oh my God. What was it? Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Yeah. We, you know? we would always have collectives, the women's collective. Yeah. Everybody had a voice. There was all the democracy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how to not care if we didn't wear makeup or wear a bra or shave our legs. I mean, that was such a radical idea then. 
And I feel like in so many ways that we said we're going to look like how we look and we're going to do what we want to do and we're going to go forward. And then there was a backlash that sort of pulled us back to dieting and making sure that we fit into a smaller mold again. And I see now when I go into schools, eating disorders is still alive and well. And I never saw social media coming. I didn't see that you could take a picture and make that person smaller and longer and leaner and their eyes bigger and their mouth smaller and their head larger. And, you know, I didn't see any of that coming. Yeah. You know, right now at work, we do all video sessions. The teenagers tell me that they are so anxious being on Zoom. Yes. Where all their classmates get to see them. And then they are watched while they're in PE class. And that is the most anxiety provoking for a lot of them. Huh. Yeah. And it's causing a lot of anxiety. And I've never seen so many female students who want to do homeschooling. So they don't even have to be part of the video conferencing and online school right now. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Now I'm going into Zoom school, right? A teacher invites me into their health class, me and the peer educators, and we do our presentation. And I noticed that a lot of students will take themselves off of video and they'll just have a picture of themselves there. So they don't even want to be seen on this little tiny postage stamp of a look, you know, later. It's very weird. I have clients that will say, I can't stand to look at myself this whole time I'm talking to you. So I'm just going to take myself off and just look at you. And it's like, yeah, but your picture is so small, you know? And But anyway, yeah, we're still such body hatred in this culture so much. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I would always tell women that I worked with, you have a body, try to focus on it being a productive part of you, be a strong vessel. It's going to get you from point A to point Z. Right. What is so wrong about having muscles and having strength, you yeah. know, where, where you could handle anything that comes your way? And I still believe in that. And right now I'm 61. I still consider myself strong, although if I do certain things. I feel like I have more after effects now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm achy the next day or two. Exactly. Or in that book, Women That Run With Wolves, there's a story of somebody who said, uh, why would I be mad at this butt? It gets me up the hill or these thighs, they're strong. They can walk for days. And yeah, that's the other way to look at the body of, yeah, but can it do what it's supposed to do, which is carry stuff around, carry you around the world? Exactly. And so following our purpose leads us to the path that feeds our souls. So tell me a little bit about that for you. How did you find that purpose or how do you find that purpose? Um, Well, when I went to school, I started college in 1977. And I went to college because my older brother went to college and I saw it as a way out, a way out of poverty, a way out to be in the world. And when I went to college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Didn't have any idea. I took these horrible classes like economics, all the things I thought I was supposed to. And it was really horrendous. And then I withdrew from college. Actually, I left. And I went back home and I worked at a few different jobs. And it was working in those different jobs that I realized this is not my purpose in life. 
you know, working in a factory, working in a warehouse, being at home and not going anywhere. And it was then that I realized I want to be a social worker. It just came to me. I want to work with people. Maybe it was the caretaker in me. Maybe it was that I saw my mom struggling. I saw my father struggling. And it was like, I don't want to live this life. Living in poverty, is it doesn't feel very good. It could be terrifying, actually. So I went back to college knowing I wanted to be a social worker. And I enrolled in the classes that I wanted. That was social work, psychology, and women's studies. <laughs> yeah. And I felt like a right. little plant that was in a small little garden. And I was finally being watered. And I was blossoming. I found my place. I love that description, a little plant that finally was getting water. Isn't that the truth, right? Yeah. And that reminds me of a story that I've read where sometimes people have little terrariums, I think they're called, and there's plants in it, and then the plant just can't grow anymore. You know, it's like how people restrict their lives. And it's like you have to take that plant and put it in a bigger garden, a bigger space, to grow. Right, exactly. And it's okay to grow. You it's know? okay. Well, women in the culture that we live in are tamped down. Don't be so big. Don't be a bitch. Don't be loud and don't be a nasty woman. That's the thing right now. Oh, that woman is nasty because she said that thing to that person, that guy. I have a shirt that says nasty woman and I proudly wear that shirt. Right. That's right. We know if a man is being assertive, he's bold. He's bold and he's strong. You know, he's he's strong. A woman who's being assertive is referred to as a bitch or nasty. Nasty is the new term these days. Yeah, exactly. And all of us need to just take that on. Take it and be okay with that. We're as loud as we need to be and we're as out there as we need to be. That's right. So once I found my purpose, once I found the women's studies, the social work, the psychology, it was all clicking and I was excelling in school and I loved it. And I would do field work as a social worker student. You have to go out to agencies and work for free to learn. And in that, I learned a lot, of course, you know, in Philadelphia this was, uh, in, well, no, this was in New Jersey when I was in Rutgers. But then when I went on to graduate school, then I lived close to Philadelphia and still finding my purpose. What population do I want to work with? Because there's so many populations to work with. And I got a scholarship to attend Bryn Mawr. Bryn Mawr is it's women's college. It's one of the seven sisters, the Bryn Mawr College. But I went to the graduate school. Wow. Good for you. Again, my purpose, I must have had a lot of angels helping along the way <laughs> because, you know, here I was this little poor girl from Brooklyn, New York, and now I'm in this great college, Bryn Mawr College, among very intelligent women. And that in itself is very inspiring to be around other intelligent women. And it reminded me of my women's studies because in a lot of my women's studies classes, there weren't any men because oftentimes women become very meek and silent when there's men around. For sure. Women's studies, women were able to talk and have conversations without being oppressed. Bryn Mawr reminded me of that also. Yeah. Well, and that happens today. I mean, again, when I go into schools, I open up a subject for conversation and the girls will hang back 
And I know they have a lot to say about eating disorders and body hatred. I know they do. But they hang back. They don't so very much want to jump right out there. And the boys will take over. So a lot of times I am the one who will ask a girl to talk and not pay attention to all the boys raising their hands because I want to at least get, you know, half of it. Let's have the other half of the population talk too. Exactly. So after I graduated from Brimhar, the country was in a recession. I had part-time work. I was working at a family service agency. And then the Renfrew Center was being built. And that's when I interviewed for the Renfrew Center. And I thought, okay, they're going to pay $1,000 less a year. But what do I want to do? And I decided I want to join this very innovative organization that's going to treat women. Because remember, I'm coming from a women's studies background, social work, psychology. So that's when I joined the Renfrew Center. And I learned about eating disorders mostly through working with the women who had eating disorders by listening to their stories, by meeting their families, by understanding the generations of struggles and oppression And oftentimes, women didn't even know a name for their disorder. They finally had a name for it. Oh, that's what it is, anorexia or bulimia. That's what it is. And my purpose was to help women to learn what their identity was. Yes. You are more than an eating disorder. You are more than if you want to have a skinny body. You know, what's what's inside that body? What What are your inequalities? Well, and then one of the things I've been thinking about lately is that I'm not so sure if we're not calling it by the wrong thing that the eating disorder is really, or the disordered eating is really because of the body hatred, right? If you didn't have body hatred, if you didn't think that you should change or be different, you probably wouldn't develop an eating disorder because a lot of eating disorders start with one diet, So what if we always worked with that? Like, what if it's okay for women to look like women, you know, that they have hips and thighs and bellies and butts? What if that was okay? Would eating disorders tamp down? It's not that they're very complex eating disorders, obviously, but what if that were the way that we started to work more with recovery, which is to heal the body hatred? It's a good point. I work with some transgendered folks, women who have transitioned to be men. And there's a difference with how the man is now residing in his body. It's a larger body. Wow. And he's he's fine with it. And he refers to it as a muscular, strong body. And there's a difference. That is so true. Right? Females and males reside in their bodies. Wow, that is so true that men, they can be stronger and therefore bigger, right? Right. They can be bigger because that's stronger. And women need to be smaller and weaker. Yeah, weaker. And we know that you can have a bigger body and still have good blood pressure, good cholesterol levels, be strong, dance, do yoga, you name it. You just have a larger size body. And that goes with the health at every size. Exactly. Yeah, that we can be healthy at whatever size, shape, or whatever length we are, whatever width we are, whatever, whatever, 
color we are, we can be healthy no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. And that blows people's minds, obviously, when we say that. When we say, no, that person can be healthy, it's okay. We don't know if they're healthy or not healthy just by looking at them. We don't know that. How many very thin, athletic people have you known that drop dead of heart attacks? Mm -hmm. I know quite a few. Well, being thin or being big or being anything doesn't mean that you're healthy or not healthy. We can't really tell by looking at it. There's a statistic that we use when we go into schools that there's a lot of studies showing that it's better to be 75 pounds overweight. And I always question the term overweight, like over whose weight. But there is a studies done that it's always better to be a little bit more weighty than less weight than you're supposed to be. And it's because your body doesn't get the nutrients that it needs if it's at a loss. But we don't really recognize that. We think the more weight you lose, the healthier you are, which is not true. It's never true. Not at all. I'm working with a woman right now. She's 17 years old, 5'8". Well, she was 106 pounds at one point. She's launching off to go to college, and this is going to absolutely stop her from succeeding. Of course. She doesn't have enough nutrients in her brain. Oh, and her bone. She's at risk for osteoporosis. And so is she listening to you? As much as she can. You know, you mentioned her brain's being starved. She is unable to really cognitively understand what I'm saying because her brain is being affected. And she's gained about maybe six pounds. And she thinks that she might be getting better. Well, she's on the path of getting better, but she has a long way to go. And it's really difficult when she still is doing body checking, looking in the mirror, when she thinks that it's, she's just underweight. And it's like, no, there's more to it than just being underweight. You're starving. She is starving, exactly. Yeah. And then to find out her identity has always been the skinny one. So I'm trying to help her find a better identity than that. Yeah. There's so many treasures that people, once they go into therapy or group counseling, they find all these hidden treasures inside themselves. That's right. That's an exciting thing. It's always been there. We just have to unearth it for yeah, them. exactly. And then water that little plant that we find. Yes. Yeah, it's beautiful. So you were talking about growing up really poor. And if somebody would have been able to come into your room when you were a young girl and say, Mary, you're going to get through this and it's going to be great. What would you have needed to have somebody say to you that things were going to get better, but what would you have needed to hear? Like, what can you tell other young girls that are out there? I, I would say, follow your dreams. Mm -hmm. Never give up. Never let go of your dreams and your hopes and your desires. Nobody could take your mind away. You know, I had my own mind, although I was surrounded in poverty and my mother and father arguing in the background. But I had me. I had my mind. It reminds me of people in the Holocaust. They yes. had their mind. They didn't give up. But keep believing in yourself. Keep imagining what you want to do. Act as if, you know. You ever hear that saying, act as if, and then you shall become. And I used to act as if I was a college professor. 
And I would be, <laughs> yeah, I love that. I would be pretending. I would pretend I was a college professor giving out all these homework assignments and <laughs> correcting imaginary papers. Right. So great. Just never give up. Always believe in yourself and use your mind. Have an active imagination because one day what you imagined will come true. Yes. And that leap of faith to go from your little place where you were at in poverty or with your parents fighting and you didn't see, maybe really see a way out to the leap of faith of that. I'm just going to follow the path. And it seems like a lot of it was, no, it's not this. No, it's not this. No, it's not this. Ah, it is this. Here I found it. And it felt like that. It felt like this is it. Everything connected. And then once I found it, like I said, I excelled because I was on the right path. Yes, of course. It didn't feel like I was swimming against anything. I was swimming with my natural wonders, my natural flow. Exactly. Wow. How good that you were able to get yourself out of that, huh? And the gifts that you got too, of like once we follow our heart's desire, a lot of times that makes all the doors open. Yeah, you're right about that. Because the Renfrew door opened. I had a choice. I could have stayed at a job where it paid $1,000 more a year. Some people will look at the money. Of course. But it was like, no, let me follow my heart. I would prefer working with women. And this is new and innovative. And I want to learn. I always have a thirst for learning. And good thing, because I learned so much when I went to the Renfrew Center. I had a clinical supervisor, Dr. Len Levitz. He helped a lot. He was one of the founders of eating disorder programs in Philadelphia, even before the Renfrew Center opened. And yeah, there was just so many good people that I was surrounded by. And like I said, I learned so much from the residents. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, they are fighting for their lives. And a lot of times that's a really powerful place to be. Speaking of that, it reminded me of a young woman. She had anorexia and she came to the Renfrew Center. And just when she felt as if though she was going to start making some behavior changes, her body gave out. Oh. Right? So right. it's like... You never know how much your body is going to take and how much abuse it's going to be able to handle before it isn't ready to move forward. You may be ready, finally in your mind, but your body is saying, I can't do it anymore. My heart's going to just give up. Yeah. Well, that's the... (sighs) Wow. Well, that was her path for sure. And at least she found out that if her body had been able to stay a little longer, she was finally finding herself there. But yeah, I mean, we forget a lot of times. I tell people when I go into schools or my own clients, eating disorders is a terminal illness. And so people die all the time from it. And it's not just, oh, I want to lose a few pounds before the prom. It's a life and death decision to make to either choose recovery or to continue with your eating disorder. And hopefully they do make that decision to go to life. Remember Karen Carpenter and her beautiful voice. I mean, her calling had to be singing. Yeah. Beautiful. 
but she had so much pressure to lose weight and her anorexia took the best of her also. And, you know, she died because of her anorexia. Yeah. And I remember when I had my own eating disorder, I wanted to be as thin as Karen Carpenter, but not die. (laughs) So I wanted to be like one more pound more so I wouldn't die. You know, I was always trying to find that, like how close could I get to, you know, I was five foot eight and I like to weigh about 104 or even under 100. So I felt it was very crazy minded because I felt when other people thought I looked sick, I thought I looked the best. So it was very dysmorphic. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. I was not a well woman with how I looked at all. Yeah. So I had to get to a place where that I didn't want to look dead anymore. I didn't want to look that sick anymore. So is there any other thing that you would like to say before we end today? Any other thing that you feel like you need to get out that you have a little platform right now? Any kind of words of wisdom you want to give people? You know, it's to the girls. I'm seeing young girls be so down on themselves. I have the opportunity to meet so many people in my work and when I see young girls who are so brilliant at such young age, but then they get so hard on their, themselves if they make a mistake, if they're not perfect, they will even hit themselves, some cut themselves, some say very mean things to themselves. And it's like, oh, I can hear myself in my mind saying, please don't do that. Love yourself. It's a minor fallback. It's you're human. You are human. I hope it doesn't grow into something worse. Back in the 80s, women were using heroin to lose weight. Oh, for sure. You remember that? Yeah, you know? I do. And then eating disorders, then it's the meth. Right? People use meth now to, to stay up for days to, to lose weight. And it's like, don't go down that road. Love yourself. You only have this one body, this one mind. You're only on earth for a certain amount of time. Do the best that you can. Enjoy your life and don't go down that road where you're going to be self-destruction. You know, it's self-destruction at your own hands. We live in a society, Laura Lee, you know it, that has a lot of things. Media tells us who we should be, what we should look like. Politicians, unfortunately, our president. We have a (laughs) lot of factors going against us and we have to really find that reservoir of strength within ourselves to say, this is me and I'm going to affirm who I am and I'm going to use my voice and I'm going to go forward. I only want the best for me. And in the process, I'm not going to hurt any others as I go forward. Let's lift each other up, especially women. We have to lift each other up. That's right. Yeah. And I think that you were involved with an organization for a really long time that that's what you guys did. You lifted each other up and you raised money for people to go to therapy in order to heal their own body hatred and eating disorder. How great was that? That was years and years you did that. Yeah, I joined in 2014, EDRS, Eating Disorder Recovery Services. Started out as a very, very small organization. You are aware of that. I know. I would go to meetings where there were only six of us in the room. (laughs) Yes. And it became so large, you know, they have annual conferences. Yeah. 
and we raise lots of money for people to get free or low uh, paying, uh, low cost uh, eating disorder services. Yeah, people got a grant and the grant, they could take that to their therapist, that money, and then go as many times as the therapist would let that be there for them. So I know that Beyond Hunger, we'd get grants and we'd try to stretch it out as long as possible for the people to go to as many group therapy as they could, for sure. It was a wonderful organization that you were involved with. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And providers like yourself who would accept the scholarships and to work at a lower pay. That's right. Well, the work is the work. I mean, you want to do the work however way we can. And you would have these, like you said, these annual conferences. And I heard people from all over the country, maybe even all over the world, that would talk about these issues and cutting-edge things that were coming out. It's really wonderful. Oh, absolutely. So I'm wondering if you would read the bottom of the card, Today I Will. Today I will find some time to ask myself the questions. What higher purpose might I have? What can I bring into my life that would bring me joy, inspire me, and feed my soul? I will listen to my inner voice and honor whatever thoughts, feelings, and ideas that come to me. Oh, and that's almost what you just said a minute ago, that listen to your own inner voice and your own feelings and thoughts. We get so down on ourselves that we didn't do it perfectly, but trust that we're working it out. We're going towards that. Exactly. And I love the illustration on the card, walking down the path and kind of reminds me when I take my little Chloe to the beach. That's right. The little path to the beach. Well, I appreciate you being here so much and really glad that you came on the podcast today. And I will talk to you later. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.